0: Hi there, my name is Oliver Hansard, one of the co-creators of the Lawyer's Coach podcast. If you listen to our first series, you will know that each episode features myself or Claire Rayson trying to find out what makes lawyers tick. Our second series gets underway on the 7th of September, but before that, we are treating you to a special crossover episode. It features Harry Clark, host of the brilliant More From Law podcast. So why do we call it a crossover? Well, not only will you be able to find this very episode on Harry's podcast channel, but also both Claire and Harry will be asking each other questions, a position they don't normally find themselves in. Claire started by asking Harry why he decided to choose a career in law in the first place.
1: I think really at the crux of it, it comes down to... um problem solving really, I really really like problem solving. I think that one of the first times I got to experience what lawyers do um, other than images of them arguing all the time in court that you, you often see on TV, was a sort of short work work placement I did, and it just involved a, a personal injury case where we, someone was trying to claim that they, uh, you know, there weren't any road markings at where they had, they had the accident. As 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 a result, they weren't liable, and um, it ended up me going onto Google Maps and using Google Street View and sort of recreating what happened um, through that, and then also. And um, kind of correlating that with the legal side of things and putting it together in and in with a solution of, as to what had happened. So I think to me, it's just the, the idea of problem solving and, um, you know, digging down as to what is going on in a, in a given scenario and then giving that feedback as to, as to what to do to a client or party. I just find that really interesting.
2: And you're at the stage of your journey. I know you're just finishing off your your LPC and about to embark on a training contract. And you do your podcast, More From Law. So I just, I'm just i just really interested as to why you started that and, and what the thinking was behind it.
1: You know, I started kind of blogging and writing and, and putting myself out there publicly, I guess, about 12 months ago. And um, that really just came about a bit by chance. Uh, it, was, it was a bit of a kind of a freak of accident how it happened in that I just uh, made a small post on LinkedIn, which was literally a platform that I had never used before and was actually looking to delete it from my phone for the purposes of getting some space on it. Um, and it just really resonated with people. And, and I saw that there was a real need for students and other aspiring lawyers who are wanting to break into the profession to um, learn more about the training contract process and what university is like and all that sort of thing. Um, and ultimately, I kind of realized the more that I talk to students that you know access to career services and you know, insights into law or the ability to talk to lawyers can be a bit of a postcode lottery at times based on um, what your university provides, for example. And, you know, I'd been fortunate enough to be able to speak to lawyers from other jurisdictions and other countries at that time, based on my own networking efforts, and I just thought, well, if I can do my best to try and sort of pay this forward and to and to you know disseminate this information that I'd learned myself um and to you know at least tell people about the mistakes that I made and all the, all the time that will hopefully save them um then that's what I would do and I think my sort of overarching aim of the podcast uh, and everything else has just been well what would I have really appreciated? two years ago you know when I when I was midway through university for example um and doing my best to to create that and to provide a really accessible insight into just how big the the world of law really is
2: and I guess it's kind of resulted in um you know you having your your own personal brand you're obviously kind of well known now how do you feel about that
1: it's been a bit of a a surreal experience at times (laughs) I still find it really strange when people use my last name for example in full. but no, it's also been really enjoyable and it's been really enlightening for me and it's really helped kind of um, challenge my perspective about the legal profession and kind of opened it up to more more voices, more backgrounds, more more different types of roles um, and everything else within the profession that I honestly didn't know existed um, beforehand. So I've really gained a lot of value out of it in, in that regard as well.
2: And what's been the most interesting thing that you've learned?
1: Oh, good question. Um I think I would have to say just the differences between the UK and the US in terms of their the legal education timeline of a lawyer and and how their kind of development process goes through. So I know in the UK we're starting to experiment a little bit with kind of these um, more innovative modules and teaching styles, trying to emphasise the the kind of skills development and the fact that um, you know lawyers need to be good at their research skills, obviously, but also all those front of house skills and negotiation and interviewing all that stuff as well. Um, and then comparing that to what's going on with the US at the moment with, with their bar exam the fact that in the middle of a pandemic they're still forcing people to you know in some states sit in these you know really stuffed rooms full of candidates everyone has to wear suits and do things that way just um just really fascinates me (laughs) is one way of putting it
2: and you're just about to to embark on your legal career in in a firm um what kind of hopes expectations do you have going into that and do you think that those have changed as you've been doing your podcast and, and reaching out and talking to, to people that are kind of further on in their careers?
1: Since I've been talking to lawyers and since I've been um, learning more about the profession and particularly since I've been learning more about the business side of law so not just you know the, the black letter law side of things and the practice areas and whatever but the actual way that that firms will innovate and provide their services to clients um, I've seen my kind of focus shift more towards the tech side of law and how you know law and technology is going to intersect I guess the expectations I think you you hear all kinds of horror stories, students going into university, hear horror stories about that, and likewise in the l p c and then onto the training contracts um but from the the most kind of practical advice I think I've been told from nearly everyone who's been through the process is to keep an open mind you know I'm going on the record and saying all this stuff now about what I do and don't like but you know it's very likely I get in there and I'll find something else that interests me or or whatever and also just to just to learn on the job you know I think um, it, it makes me laugh sometimes the number of times I speak to associates or um trainees who are sort of set to qualify and say that you know the lpc or law school whatever it is you've done before is useful to a degree and it will teach you some of those skills like we were just talking about um but a lot of it is the case of having to get used to how this firm does things and getting used to um picking up the skills you'll need regardless of what department you're in and how that will change as well so i'm excited but um yeah i'm also a little nervous as i'm sure (laughs) i'm sure you can imagine
2: and in terms of kind of choosing firms i just want to to ask you a bit about that because i think you know there's there's always a lot written about you know and again it makes me sound sound old but you know kind of your generation and you know how um millennials don't want to work for a firm whose values don't align with theirs um and they're looking for a bigger purpose um how true do you think that is
1: yeah, good question. I'm sure you know, I'd hesitate to speak as the, the spokesperson for, for Gen Z or anything else, but at least I think, in my eyes, that some of the things that you, you've identified as also being prevalent um, when you're applying, you know, the, the characteristics of the firm and internationality, or anything else, and the, the caliber of the work you're doing, is obviously still going to be resonant. I think, if anything, um, perhaps with younger generation, the fact that we've grown up with technology and we've we've clearly seen, as a result of coronavirus, how remote working is at least you know in the short term plausible and, and, and doable and workable for a lot of firms. um I think it's a it's going to be a sort of a slight shifting of emphasis on on values. I I think, from what I can tell, in my experiences of speaking to students and a bunch of surveys I've seen done of, of people sort of my age, there's a greater emphasis and desire on on this the, the so-called work-life balance and the ability to, um, you know, work flexibly if need be and be able to sort of have more control over. Uh, your sort of working commitments and so on, but at the same time, I don't think that that's representative of everyone. And I'm sure that there will be individuals who um, instead are much more emphasis, you know, much more focused on the ability to get a real sort of professional career developed through succumbents, or the ability to you know liaise directly with clients and throw themselves at the deep end and and everything else. So. Um, it's been really interesting to to see everyone's responses with everything that's that's going on with with COVID and, and how it's kind of impacting on different generations. And I think the the, the main thing you know I surveyed a lot of students um, when the, when the pandemic first broke out, and I think the the main thing is just um, anxiety, if anything, um, and not necessarily just over for the job market and the economy and everything else. But obviously, at, at this sort of stage of your life and your career, you're you're contending with a lot of other things as well. It's the, it's, it's trying to get on the property ladder or at least finding a place to rent when you're doing everything um professionally it's your education when the the kind of disruptions that we've seen there um and then in addition the 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 career prospects of being able to secure and and develop a career with everything that's that's going on um in this market really so i think if if anything it's it's people are just wanting to find some sense of security in what they're going to do and and an ability to to hopefully prove themselves to 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 an employer or, or otherwise
2: and it's interesting, isn't it, around that work flexibility, because it's something I think, you know, that's probably true of all generations that, you know, you want to have that work-life balance. And and actually, when you when you start at a firm, you know, I think, certainly if I look back at my experience, you end up working, you know, long hours, you know, and you're not in a position really to turn around and say, you know, actually, I want to work flexibly and I want this work-life balance. Do you think Gen Z rather than millennials makes me seem even older? <laughs> But do you think Gen Z are gonna be any different? Do you think they're gonna say, actually, you know what, I could be doing this remotely, why are you why are you making me stay here at one in the morning when I could be doing this you know, maybe still at one in the morning, but I could be doing it at home?
1: Yeah, I think I think they're the the views will probably still be the same their desire to do so i think that the biggest difference that will will happen this time around if that conversation happens again post-coronavirus is the fact that the partners and the decision makers and everyone else amongst the firm will have experienced this directly firsthand for themselves um and I've, will have experienced what this remote working is like and yeah I, I fully understand that there's you know a lot of lawyers I've spoken to who are, who are desperate to get back to the office and from when I have spoken to them for that you know the, the vast majority of it is due to the social element of being able to work with colleagues and and so on and, and what I'm and being able to do that but I think the fact that partners and everyone else will have experienced this firsthand will hopefully have come as a, a learning experience as to the fact that this is you know a little bit different from the kind of articles and speculations that we might have um read about but then again i i'd caveat that by the fact that this is not a usual working from home experience and that i'm i'm sure that there'll be many people who have gone through this this period of the last six months or whatever um turned off from the idea of remote working because it's not really been remote working it's been remote coping with kids and um you know everything else that they might have going on at their home
2: i think the other thing that um That your generation will have that you know, mine kind of was really only starting off with this, make again makes me sound old, but the internet was only really you know coming in when I was at university, and we certainly didn't have you know social media like you do today, or um, you know, podcasts or any of that stuff. So, actually, you know, I've worked in marketing in firms as well as as a lawyer in a firm. Um, and I think, you know, the generation coming up are going to be a marketing team's dream, but actually probably also a marketing team's nightmare, because, you know, with with everyone um, kind of almost doing their own thing anyway and having their own brands, it's going to be an interesting dilemma, I think, to to work out what you do with that.
1: Mm. Yeah, and no, I would agree. And I think I think the one thing that's always kind of intrigued me, I guess, about the way that um, firms at least traditionally have been marketing and, and speaking to students is, and, um, you know, a lot of young people and students they obviously prefer various social media platforms. And obviously TikTok is crazy at the moment and YouTube and the kind of visual element and the idea of building that real personal connection with the person they're speaking to and engaging with is, I think, I think a really kind of key component of, of what interests them. But then if you look at the way that firms will will try to advertise to students, it's through, you know, law fairs and career fairs. It's through coming in and giving presentations very akin to lectures for the, you know, for an hour or two on what their firm does. And they just both strike me as quite student unfriendly environments with the fact that they're very nerve wracking, these law fairs. Like I really, I remember my first one and when you're in your first year and you don't know your, your, you know, contracts from your torts and everything else and your trust. Um, seeing all of these international huge firms worth you know millions and millions and billions of pounds rocking up on your campus and saying apply to us apply to us and you know have a career with us it's 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 certainly um an experience and it's certainly quite intimidating and i guess what i'll be really interested to see is going forwards like you say how firms will adapt and explore these new avenues that you know, this digital age has provided to us and whether you know there's already firms that have started to pull out in, uh, indefinitely from doing um, careers fairs and things anyway because they're they're also quite an investment for the firms you know, they have to sp- spend money getting people to travel up and potentially stay somewhere overnight if they're doing a tour of universities and go around speaking campuses it all takes a vast amount of time and if you can get that same level of reach through you know uh, spending two three hours recording and editing a podcast and distributing that to you know thousands of people anyway um i guess it's going to be a shift of priorities in terms of how you allocate your your time your resources i guess claire given the fact you've been in the marketing side of law as well i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that and whether you think um You know, the world of career fairs and and in-person lectures and everything else are going to go away and give way to these newer medias, like I said.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think, you know, I think marketing teams would absolutely love to go down that route because, you know, for a number of reasons you've mentioned already, you know, it's cheaper, it's easier, you get to build a connection um i think my experience is that you know if you mention tiktok to a lawyer i think that they you know a lawyer of a certain age they would they would freeze in fear and that would be as intimidating to them as the law firm that you know the law fairs are to you um so it's interesting and i think actually you know it's having that voice in the firm and being open to listen to the voices of the people that are coming in is really important and it's something that i always try to do because actually you know it's it goes back to understanding your audience, and, and you know, the audience for for careers fairs is you, so it's you know, you're the you, you and 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 you know, your, your peers are the people that should you know, should be the ones that are saying, actually, you know what, it'd be much better if you had one of the partners talking, you know, talking to us through TikTok or talking to us through Instagram or whatever it is, um, because that's much more likely to engage with us. But as I said, I think what, what probably holds people back is that fear of, you know, looking silly or um, not knowing where to start, I think. Success. We've kind of been talking to various guests through this series and and success has been kind of a theme throughout and kind of the conventional idea of success and, and challenging that, I guess. Do you think that, um, you know, for you and and for people that you're talking to, you know, your your kind of peers... Is success for you still? You know, we want to make partner at a city firm, or is that something slightly different now?
1: Good, good question. That's that's an interview style question. That is, I feel like I'm in the <laughs> interview room again. No pressure. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, I'll, I won't lay out my uh, my criteria for partner yet. But um <laughs> no, I think I think I think. The message that is often communicated to students at university is, is, firstly, it's it's barrister or solicitor. The the emphasis on the vast array of other careers within the world of law and consulting, marketing, business development, all that other stuff is unfortunately underemphasized. And I think you know it's like fifty percent of students go into a law degree wanting to be barristers, and then at the end of it, fifty percent of them aren't even doing legal careers. So I think that the the fact that you know, shows like suits and the media and everything else has a huge influence on how people perceive success and how people perceive legal careers. Is quite evident um i think personally for me i'm i'm just really i'm looking forward to practice i think um, uh, what really interests me is the fact that when you when you go from from trainee to partner level you 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 shift your focus slightly away from actually doing the legal work and the nitty-gritty details down to the commercial side of things and and you know keeping clients happy and winning new clients and business development side of things i think at least in my um admittedly limited exposure to law and uh, everything else that i've been doing I've really enjoyed that aspect. I've really enjoyed the element of commerciality and the business side to law that that firms engage with, and the fact that they need to, you know, win new clients and market themselves effectively and all that stuff. So, certainly throughout my training contract and beyond, I'm, I'd love to get involved with all that kind of stuff that a, a firm can offer. Um, but I kind of hesitate to to put a, a, a label or a fixed goal of where I want to be in, you know, say, ten years' time, because I think, you know, the, admittedly, if you'd have asked me where I wanted to be in a year's time, 12 months ago, I I certainly wouldn't have said Doing the stuff I'm doing now, it probably would have been very different, and I think that just goes to show that, um, you know, I think you need to keep your your ambitions, um, you know, just a, a ahead of you enough to stretch you in terms of your scope and what you're you're, you're hoping to achieve. But I, I wouldn't keep them too fixed either, um, and and, I, and instead I think it's much more effective to have a sort of overarching mission statement or values that that guide you and that interest you, um, which will lead you towards some kind of endpoint or goal to work towards. Rather than the other way around and trying to mold yourself to fit the shape of something um along the way because ultimately if you you get there and you don't like it, then you've spent a lot of time um you know fixating towards something which which didn't resonate with you really, so a bit of a half answer there I'm afraid, but I think I think that's that's the best I can do, given that you know I'm sure if we had this conversation in six to twelve months once I've got my foot in the door and actually started practicing it could be a very different thing indeed and um again it goes back to the point of keeping an open mind and 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 not bolting myself down too much to to what I want to do just yet
2: it's funny uh, because it you know keep making me sound old um Ali Ali McBeal was I guess the suits of of my day and that was I think the thing people see and assume that you know that's what you're walking into um are you going to carry on with with podcasting vlogging is that something that you're kind of going to keep doing
1: Oh, I hope so. I hope so. I think one of the reasons I, I mean, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense what I'm doing. If my, if, you know, by my, my core audience are, are students and people looking to break into law. Um, and I'm primarily on a lot, you know, a very student unfriendly platform, I guess is one way of saying it, which is LinkedIn. I think if I was wanting to be, you know, having maximum effectiveness in my ability to reach students and convey to them in the, in the medium a method that, that, They would resonate with, like we kind of covered earlier, it would be something like YouTube or TikTok or anything else. But the reason I picked the blog and the podcast format was because I think it's something which will mature quite nicely alongside a legal career. And I'd already seen a lot of practicing lawyers participating in that kind of stuff anyway um and when i got this started it was with the intention of, of keeping it going throughout my my trading contracts and beyond and everything else and um i'm i'm, I'm hoping to do that i'd admittedly probably not at the pace i'm doing now it might have to drop down to to once a week or something like that but i think um for me i wanted it to be an, an opportunity to to document my conversations and experiences both with other people and then also my own reflections on what i'd been doing and my own experiences because you know there's a lot of information about training contracts that just as a narrow example that doesn't get communicated through to students and uh, and to people looking to break into the profession so you know the professional skills course the psc component that you do with the sra admittedly not you know a huge step in the process but there were people in my cohort you know like this a month or two before we're about to start who didn't know what that was and admittedly i'd only heard of it in reference um and it's just it's one of those things that makes me scratch my head and go okay well, w- well why isn't this being you know promoted or marketed or at least distributed to students as information that they would need to know about because it is a component of of what they're going to do or you know how seat selection processes work or what are the differences between all these different commercial or practice areas and um how do they differ between you know transactional versus litigious versus advisory kind of seats and work so all that kind of information which i think is really insightful and useful to students and will certainly inform them in their decision making process um, i hope to continue with me through the podcast and the medium of the blog, as well to to be able to help people, um, yeah, continue to learn more about the profession and to, uh, like I said, document the, the the vast array of people which I am sure I'll come into contact with once into the world of practice as well.
2: And what's the one thing? So, there, you know, might be some um, partners listening. There might be um, some HR um, teams listening. What would be the one thing that you would say that they could be doing better to inform students and to try and attract students into their firms?
1: I think I think some of the ways that I've seen things just be most effective per se is is not to necessarily go for for methods of what I would call direct marketing i e trying to espouse you know our firm is the best because x, y z because I you know there's this huge array of firms out there, and a lot of times students will feel they might be getting conflicting messages and they might think two firms are incredibly similar and it might be the case in, in reality that they are but when it comes to um them being able to kind of cut through everything they're being being offered and being able to understand what a firm's truly about um it, it can be a, bit, a little bit difficult and i think some of the most effective ways i've seen people engage with firms and what they do and ultimately lead to them applying there is is through what i would just call indirect or that kind of content marketing so actually just telling people what it is you do giving you a real insight you know the experiences of talking to partners or like I said all those other examples earlier of learning about those commercial law practice areas and really getting an insight into what firms do and if, if possible an ability to do it themselves through these sort of virtual experiences that we've seen cropping up and as a result of coronavirus because I think ultimately that will that helps you twofold because it helps your students and people who are going to apply and be more informed and hopefully write better applications and be better lawyers and everything else that would come along with that increased exposure but also it's the fact that when they go for these these you know learning experiences they they know where they got them from and if anything it's it's advantageous to the firms because they can give their own you know highlights and they can sell some of their own usps um as that kind of secondary emphasis to all of that so i think if 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 firms really want to try and connect with people in a way in which students will appreciate and also be able to really understand and and you know uh, appreciate and the fact that they hopefully apply there um i think it's just simply provide information in a way which is accessible digestible understandable um and one then thing just helps give some information provision and insight into into what firms do
2: that message probably is also true of, of firms and how they communicate with their clients because um you know the communication might be done in a slightly different way but i think it echoes there of you know, things that, you know, I hear from clients around, you know, knowing knowing how to separate one firm from another. So, Harry, thank you so much for joining me. It's been really interesting talking to you and finding out about, you know, where you are and, and I wish you every success in your career.
0: That was Claire Rayson speaking to Harry Clark of the More From Law podcast. And it's well worth heading over to his podcast feed to see the other great content he has there. I do hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Lawyer's Coach. Series 2 starts on the 7th of September, so do look out for that. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Lawyer's Coach is brought to you by Client Talk and Hansard Coaching. If you're enjoying this series, please rate us on your podcast provider so that others can find us. If you're a lawyer and would like to take part in Lawyer's Coach, please visit our website, lawyercoach.co.uk, for further details and you can also join the conversation on our linkedin group lawyers coach if there are any topics you'd like to hear us discuss then just get in touch